Human Dignity and End-of-Life Issues on this edition of Truth and Love. I'm Dale Johnson, and you're listening to Truth and Love, a podcast of the Association of Certified Biblical Counselors, where we seek to provide biblical solutions to the problems that people face. This week on the podcast, I have with me Pastor Adam Tyson, who's from the great state of Georgia. And I can appreciate that being from North Florida, which is Georgian culture, and so grateful that he's with us. After attending medical school, he became a physician's assistant and worked in cardiovascular and thoracic surgery in Savannah for four years. He serves in his local church. He felt an overwhelming desire to pursue the glory of the Lord through theological training, opportunity to serve the Lord in full-time ministry. Adam had the privilege of attending the master's seminary for both an MDiv and a DMIN. He served as associate pastor of student ministries and outreach at his church in Texas for seven and a half years. He has a passion for expository preaching, biblical counseling, worldwide missions, and reaching the community of Santa Clarita with the gospel. Sounds like my kind of guy. Adam serves as an adjunct professor in the biblical counseling department at the Master's University. He and his lovely wife, Lisa, have been blessed with five children. Pastor Adam, I'm so grateful that you're here, brother, to talk about these issues. And and this is sort of a foreshadowing. You're going to be one of our primary speakers at our conference coming up in October. And I'm so grateful you're going to be addressing these topics. Thanks for joining me today. Hey, it's great to be with you, Dale. Listen, as we dive into this, uh, it's a topic that that seems morbid at times, I think. But there, there are a lot of things going on here when we talk about end-of-life issues. And this seems to be amped up in the ethical world in our culture today talking about the issues that, that occur at the end of life. And, and these can be anything from euthanasia or talking about some of the ethical issues that, that families have to deal with as family members get closer to the end of life and they're on ventilators and things like that. When do we pull the plug? I mean, tons of questions come out here. But let's talk particularly about the end of life in terms of euthanasia. What is mercy killing? We, we hear this sort of in the news. We think about this from an eth- ethical perspective. And what is mercy killing? How is this related to the topic of euthanasia? Sure, Dale. You know, at mercy killing, it's just the act of putting a person or even an animal to death painlessly, allowing them to die without holding medical services, usually because of painful diagnosis or some kind of incurable disease. And um, I like how that formal definition talks about or an animal, because a lot of pet owners are probably used to maybe putting their dog down at some point at the end of life issue. And so they think, well, maybe a human is no different. You know, it's the end of their life. They've got some kind of terminal diagnosis. Maybe they've got some chronic pain. So they prefer to use the term mercy killing because it sounds like you're doing them a favor. But in essence, mercy killing and euthanasia are the exact same thing. And uh, that would also encompass the concept of death with dignity. All of these are just titles trying to soften the blow of you're killing a person or you're allowing that person to kill themselves through suicide. And it's a conflation of categories. I mean, we're not in a position as human beings to give or take away mercy when it comes to life and death. That's not our role. Mm -hmm. Uh, That is God's role and God's alone. As we think about this, we always have to set these questions because, again, that that appeal to mercy killing is really trying to make some, some sort of moral explanation that you're doing them a favor or this is morally right. But as Christians, we have to always set these topics within the Scripture to understand what does God say about these things, because he's the one who determines what's good and what's evil. So, so what are some important Bible verses that, that really 
we need to keep in mind when this issue of life and death comes to our mind? Sure. Well, the Bible is certainly replete with the topic of life and death. That's what it's all about, right? And so you can't go very far in this conversation without examining the Ten Commandments. The Sixth Commandment in Exodus 20, verse 13 says, Thou shalt not murder. And so there's really no easy way to say that other than to kill a person at any time on purpose, even if it's labeled mercy killing, euthanasia, or death with dignity, biblically classified, that would still be murder. So you got to start there. You got to start with the idea that murder is a sin. It is the sixth commandment. And to do that is just wrong. Some other verses to keep in mind might be like 1 Samuel chapter 2, verse 6 says, the Lord kills and brings to life. He brings down to Sheol and raises up. And it's just kind of a general statement there, just reminding us that God is sovereign over life and death. And it's it's him and his divine providence and his divine wisdom who should decide who lives and who dies and the timing of that. Another common verse would certainly be Job 1, verse 21, where the, Job at the end of a horrible day when all of his kids had died, obviously lost all of his cattle, and then his, uh, his children had died. And Job said, naked I came from my mother's womb and naked I shall return. The Lord gave and the Lord is taken away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. And so you can't help but think that he's saying God gives life, God takes life. It's his divine prerogative to do that. Our job is to worship him and to exalt him and to trust him as those things happen in you know everyday life experiences with loved ones and friends. It's just part of life. But Adam, as you think about this, and we know these things intellectually. I mean, for anybody who's been around the church for any number of years, we, we understand those verses. We understand God is in that particular position of giver of life and the one who knows the number of our days. He's responsible for our life. But, but something happens in life or in situations that become more convincing than the word, where we find ourselves distanced from those truths. It doesn't change those truths, but now circumstances start, start to be more convincing than even the scriptures are. And so what kinds of questions are people thinking through when they're trying to make these end-of-life decisions that, that sometimes become confusing? Sure. Yeah. Well, I think the main question is, is life continued living, is it is it worth it? You know, that's the concept of death with dignity. Somebody has been diagnosed with a terminal illness. Maybe they have chronic pain. They feel like they've lost quality of life. They're thinking maybe it would be better for me just to go on to the afterlife for a Christian to heaven. And certainly Christians are tempted with this thought of would it just be better? So I don't, I don't want to be a burden on my family. I don't want to be a burden on society. So really, you have two extremes. One is, I'm willing to take my life if I think death is better than life. And the problem with that is, again, it's a moral decision. We're deeming it as suicide. On the other hand, you have people who want to extend life at all costs. So they want to use all the technology that's available. They'll go to any degree. You know, we, we talk about this person being a vegetable. They're on machines keeping them alive. And the family's trying to make a decision what would be best, like you mentioned earlier, when would it be best to pull the plug? And so you're trying to help people make decisions with these two extremes. And we, we can't jump towards suicide because that's a sin. But when is it right to continue the life that continues indefinitely? And I would just say those decisions have to be made case by case. You want to get good medical advice and counsel from a neurologist and a pulmonologist and a cardiologist and all the experts that might be looking at various 
organ systems and their potential failure. And then you want to talk and praise a family. You want to get pastoral counsel from your pastor, your elder team. Obviously, biblical counseling weighs into this because sometimes biblical counselors are part of that, you know, decision-making team or at least giving counsel to families that are going through what they're going through. And so that's why it's just so hard. It's, It's sometimes not clear what to do. One family might decide, hey, let's pull the plug. Another family may say, let's give them another day. Let's give them another week. Let's give them another month. And those can be very difficult decisions. Yeah, cause lots of tension and problems and uh, emotions are raging high and, and sometimes really, really difficult. Now, sometimes in the modern sense, we dismiss the scriptures because we think we have modern problems. And this would be one what the, that sometimes we sort of think about in terms of modernity, euthanasia, mercy killing, language like that. But but let's, let's reset this because there's nothing new under the sun. Are there biblical examples of people in the scripture who wanted to kill themselves that that would be similar to what we see unfolding today in mercy killing? Sure. Yeah. Like you said, there's nothing new under the sun. There's several examples in the Bible. One would be Elijah. You might remember after he won a great victory, so to speak, on the top of Mount Carmel, then he was afraid, ran for his life. And in 1 Kings 19.4, it says, but he himself went a day's journey into the wilderness and came and sat down under a broom tree. And he asked that he might die saying, it is enough now, O Lord, take away my life for I am no better than my father's. Well, that was a low point. You know, he had a high point where he saw a great victory, and then he had a low point where he just became afraid. And so he's asking God to take his life. This is a request for euthanasia, in a sense. That's what Elijah is asking. Another time in the Bible where this occurs would be Saul in 1 Chronicles chapter 10, verse 4. This could certainly be considered a form of mercy killing. He had been wounded, remember, and he's there on the battlefield. And Saul said to his armor bearer, draw your sword and thrust me through with it, lest these uncircumcised come at me and mistreat me. But his armor bearer would not, for he feared greatly. Therefore, Saul took his own sword and fell upon it. Again, when you just kind of read that, sometimes you're like, okay, I can see that. You know, you're in the battlefield. You know, you're going to, you know, you've been mortally wounded. But I still just have a problem with that. I don't think it's right for a professing believer. And of course, you could question whether Saul was a true believer or not. I would say he was not. But, you know, it's like he took his life there because he probably had some type of terminal or mortal wound, I should say, and was going to die in a matter of time anyway. But probably the best known one, I would say, would probably be Job. We discussed earlier that at Job chapter one, he had the right demeanor. You know, the Lord gives, the Lord takes away. Chapter two, he holds his ground, even though he faces great physical pain from the top of his head to the bottom of his feet. But in chapter three, verse one, he's already struggling and he's almost cursing the day that he was born. And then in Job chapter six, verse eight, it says, oh, that I might have my request and that God will fulfill my hope that it would please God to crush me, that he would let loose his hand and cut me off. Well, that's language for death. He's praying that it would please God to kill him. And so he mentions it again in Job seven fifteen, so that I would choose strangling and death rather than my bones. I loathe my life. I would not live forever. Leave me alone for my days are but a breath. Again, if you read into what he's saying, he wants to die. He's asking God to take him out. And, you know, I have a lot of sympathy for Job based on what he went through, but it doesn't mean Job wasn't without sinful thinking. 
And that's why at the end of the book, God circles back around and says, Job, I need to talk to you. You know, where were you when I created the heavens and the earth? And he goes through that whole speech there of reminding Job, you just got to trust me. You know, you got to trust me. I am God and I will do what's best for my glory and for your good. You've got to trust me and walk with me through these difficult times. Yeah, and it's encouraging on some level. We see definitely the expressions of our human existence post-fall that we find ourselves in sufferings and difficulties where it seems to us in the way in which we account things that we think living might not be as good as what God has planned. But but we have to balance this. We're, we're certainly not masochists where we run to suffering and, and we think this is the best thing ever. But we're called in Scripture to posture ourselves in a way that that we endure suffering, we persevere in suffering. It has an element by God's intention to wean us off the things of the world to truly put our hope in Him. So we, we have to balance this in some way. So how do we find biblical balance between this whole desire to end suffering, which we should do? We, we're longing for it, right? Paul says in, in Titus chapter 2, verse 13, he longs for the glorious appearing of Christ. Why? Because he knows that it'll be at that moment that all of sin and its effects are done away with. We long for that. We want suffering to end. So how do we balance this whole idea between a desire to end suffering, but also a desire for our life to be lived for the glory of God? You know, I, I think we just got to come back to our theological roots and realize that suffering is good. Suffering is from God. Suffering has been ordained for His glory and for our good. We've got to come back to understanding if you don't have a proper theology of suffering, then you're not going to face end-of-life issues very well. And so you got to come back to passages like Romans chapter 5 that reminds us that, that we rejoice in our sufferings, knowing that suffering produces endurance, and endurance produces character, and character produces hope. I mean, we, we run to those verses like Romans 8, 28 and 29, you know, that, that we're so familiar that God causes all things to work together for good. And I love verse 29, that we would be conformed to the image of his son. So even at the end of life, there's an opportunity for you to die well, to suffer well to the very end. You know, one of the interesting things when you talk about the euthanasia, everybody assumes that the patient is choosing to kill themselves or to commit suicide uh, because they're in great pain. If you read different studies and statistics on this, they would say that doesn't even make it in the top five. The top five reasons why people kill themselves is not physical pain. The reason for that being obviously we have hospice care. There's a lot of palliative drugs that can be given to take away the pain. So it's actually not a pain issue. It's just a quality of life issue, which is meaning it's a suffering issue. They say, well, I'm suffering. I'm depressed. I can't live life like I would like to. Therefore, I'm going to decide to take my life. And what we're trying to do is encourage people who are in that situation or who are counseling family members and friends who are in that situation, this is a time for you to trust the Lord. This is a time for you to walk hand in hand with the Lord Jesus Christ. This is an opportunity for you to not waste this moment here at the end of your life, but that you know that God is sovereign over your days. He's sovereign over your situation, and He wants to glorify Himself and again, that's easier said than done. I, I get that. If I was on my deathbed, I'm sure I'd be like, just let me come home, Jesus. Take me home. I'm ready. You know, and there's something about that that's admirable, but we don't decide that. God decides that. And so we have to trust him. I think it's just trusting him, doing the best that we can to honor him when those decisions need to be made. Maybe they're going to be made with a group of people that you're close to, both your medical team and your theological team, that's if I can right. say it that way. 
Well, you see this in Jesus. You see it in Paul. Into your hands, I commit my spirit. There's a, a correct posture, right? Paul, the same way. If it's better for me to be here to serve you, I, I'm great with that. But I long to be with Christ. Th- there's a distinction. I think that's a healthy posture. You, you're talking here. You're speaking into the issue of the spirit of the age where we, we value life based on what we get out of it or what we're contributing to it socially. And that's not the way in which we value life. We value life intrinsically because we as human beings are made in the image of God. Listen, this is what my appetite. I cannot wait for us to be together in October in Memphis, Tennessee for our conference this year in his image. And we're going to talk all things anthropology. And one of the sessions that you're going to lead is about this very topic, human dignity, when it comes to end of life issues. And I cannot wait for this topic and for us to, to, to dive in a little bit further. This touches us in many more ways than we'd ever dreamed. And we need to think biblically about this. So thanks for helping us today. You're welcome. It's a joy to be with you. You're listening to Truth and Love, a podcast of ACBC. Now, what you received today from Adam Tyson in our discussion on the end-of-life issues is just a small sampling of the things that we're going to be talking about at our conference in Memphis, Tennessee this year, in his image, October 3rd through the 5th. Part of my goal in this annual conference is to make sure that we address what's happening in our culture around us, that really the decimation of the truth of what God has given in his word that we are creating the image of God. And when we see the decimation in a philosophical way from our culture and the spirit of the age in which we live, we see people affected in many, many ways to the issue of abortion, the end of life, how we deal with it, the issue of racism and the ways in which we are partial against people because of different aspects of their biology, whether that be gender-related or racially-related, ethnically-related. We need to be cautious and careful about that, and we want to make that the object of our discussion. One of the greatest contributions, and I mean this in a negative way, that that modern psychology has made has been the alteration of anthropology from a biblical perspective. We need to tackle that, and we're going to try and do that our best at our annual conference this year. Now, one of the reasons that I mention this today is because here in a few days, March 31st, we, we are going to incur a price jump. And so we want to make you aware of, of this opportunity to come join us in Memphis, Tennessee, October 3rd through the 5th for our annual conference in his image. You can find out more information about that conference on our website and catch it before the price jump. Go to biblicalcounseling.com. Mm-hmm.